Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Genesis 32, verse 22 to 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and set them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God's face, face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Thank you for joining us here uh, in worship. Uh, this morning's message is we're continuing our series through Genesis and, and, and Exodus in the beginning of, uh, of the book of Joshua. We're, we're looking at different, different patriarchs, different matriarchs, the, the, the building blocks of the, the people of God that, uh, that followed, followed him. And, and we're taking a look at how God is building into them. And last week we opened with this question. Why do we fail to do what we know that we ought to do? I think I phrased it in the negative last week. The question was, why do we do things we know we shouldn't do? But it's the same question, just phrased differently. And the answer last week that we explored is uh, because of misplaced worship, misplaced worship. Uh, We need a proper view of who God is and to actually believe who God is. And that dictates our ethics. It dictates everything that we do or say. We can't love the Lord our God with all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our might, and love our neighbor as ourself if we are not worshiping God, if we are not worshiping God as God reveals himself to be. But there's another component. There's another component. It's not as simple as believing the right things about who God says that God is. There's also believing the right things about who God says you are. Um, ironically, you, last week, if you were really paying attention, you noticed that my identity was slipping a bit. When I came back from sabbatical, I wrote about this. I know I shared it in numerous sermons that while I was on sabbatical, um, I, the Lord revealed to me that I have this label that I give myself. You've heard me say it thousands of times over the last 25 years. And what is that label? Idiot. How many of you have noticed that? That's a thing. When I talk about my own failures morally, um, generally if I'm sharing this with you in a congregation or I'm talking with you over coffee and I'm, te- I'm sharing about my failures, I, I quickly, my demeanor changes. I become angry. And then I, I, I kind of 
start to squat a little bit, get into that wrestling stance, get all tense and say, idiot. Okay, so that's how it's pronounced. Idiot. It's, it's from here. It's from here. And uh, one of the things the Lord revealed to me while I was on sabbatical is, that's, that's not who I am. It's, that's not who I am. I behave as if I am that way sometimes, but that, that doesn't, that's not me. That's not who I am. And I, I understood while on sabbatical that there's a great, a great deal that, that, that when I label myself, when we believe things about ourselves which are not true, they become self-fulfilling prophecies, right? And so I, I told the elders, and, and Josh in particular, I said, if I start using that again, please call me out. So it wasn't 30 minutes after the second service that I got a text. So the old Brooks showed up again. And I had no idea what he was talking about until I talked to him. And he says, I and a few others noticed that the idiot terminology found its way back into your preaching. And so this is a thing. This is a thing. It's not enough that we believe that God is who he says he is. The question is, do you believe that you are who he says you are? Because if you don't, if you don't, you'll never be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you won't love your neighbor as yourself. And you might just behave as if you believe yourself to be an idiot or worse or worse. So three things we're going to talk about. If we're going to embrace this blessing that God wants us to have, that he's bestowed upon Jacob, that he's promised to Jacob, if Jacob is going to realize this blessing, if you and I are going to realize the blessings that God has given us in Christ, we need to look at three things that's going to, we're going to see in this wrestling match that Jacob has with the Lord. First of all, what's the problem is Jacob perceives it. And, and by way of application, what do you think your problem is? What do you think your problem is? The second thing we're going to see is the problem understood. And, and this, is, this is where the wrestling match comes in. This is where God has to engage Jacob physically to help him see spiritually that the problem is not what he thinks the problem is. And the very last thing we're going to take a look at is the power of a new name. The power of a right identity. The right identity. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Let's pray and, and go, to, uh, go to the scriptures. Father, we come to you in humble adoration. We need you. We love you. We worship you. And we pray, Father, that you would speak truth to our hearts. Help us to believe rightly about who you say yourself to be and help us to embrace who you say that we are in you. And Father, for those who do not yet know you, I pray that today they would embrace a new identity in Christ. And Father, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would embrace and cling to that identity, the truth of who we are in you, Jesus. Spirit, speak to hearts. Uh, speak through me. Speak to me, Lord, as I clearly do not always believe uh, the truth about who you say I am in Christ. So Father, we pray that you would do a work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at the problem as Jacob perceives it. Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. So you recall that, that, that Jacob has stolen the blessing from his brother. 
deceived his father and Esau wants him dead. And he's, he's fled. He's fled to his relative's land about 600 miles to the east. And that's where he's met his, his wife, Rachel, his wife, Leah, his, his, and, and his two servants. And, and, and through them, they've had 11 children. And he's amassed a great deal of wealth. He's aggress, uh, amassed a great deal of uh, livestock. And God speaks to him in Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. It's time for you to go home. It's time for you to go home to the land that I promised you to your family. So go home. Well, that's great, but who lives there? Esau lives there. So Esau lives there. And so the first part of Genesis chapter 32, we see that Esau is coming out to meet Jacob. And so Jacob sends sends some servants to kind of scout out the mood of his brother Esau. And these servants come back and they tell Jacob, your brother is on his way with 400 armed men. Okay, this sends shockwaves into Jacob's spirit and he is utterly terrified. He's utterly terrified. Jacob is, in, in, verse, uh, um, in verse 7 of chapter 32, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So he sees the problem to be Esau. Esau is the one thing standing before him and his blessing. He's always viewed Esau as the problem. That's why he's deceived him twice before. Esau is in the way in the way of that which he perceives to be his blessing. Esau is and always has been the problem, and now he seems to be a threat for his existential being. He's an existential threat. He believes that he could take me out. And so we see in verses 9 through 12, let's take a look at chapter 32, 9 through 12, Jacob prays. When there's a problem, what should we do? Pray, and so he does starting at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds and steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff did I cross the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring to the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So Jacob is greatly distressed. He is greatly afraid. And that that pushes him to go to the Lord because he can't do this on his own. And so what does he pray? He prays from deliverance from the problem as he sees it. Now, who's the problem in Jacob's mind? Esau. So deliver me from the problem. You following the logic here? Esau is clearly the problem as he sees it. Now, after he prays, he gets busy doing what Jacob does. And that's trying to fix the problem on his own. Now, now, kudos, he did pray, 
And he did it. He even prayed according to promises that God gave him. If you're going to pray, that's the way to pray. You pray on the basis of what God has promised you. And that's exactly what Jacob does. But now he begins to work on the problem. Let's take a look at verses 13 through 21. What does he do? In 13 through 21, he, he begins to send out envoys of, of servants and gifts. He sends, he sends the sheep, male and female. He sends the goats, male and female. He sends the cattle, male and female. He sends the camels, male and female. And he splits all these groups up. So it's one envoy after another. And he tells the servants that are there, when you meet my brother Esau, here's what I want you to say. Your servant Jacob sends you these gifts. So he prays for God to deliver him from the problem. And then he begins to address the problem himself. Now, what's he trying to do here? This is not rocket science. He's trying to win the heart of Esau. He's trying to change the problem. He's trying to change the problem. He sees Esau as the problem, so he prays for God to deliver him from the problem. He sees Esau as the problem, so he does what he does to change the heart of who he sees as the problem. This is what every single marriage counselor faces every time when they get a married couple into the room. The couple tends to see the other person as the problem, and they've prayed for God to deliver them from the problem whom they're sitting next to, and they've done everything they can to change the heart of the problem, but they still don't see the problem. See, there's, the, the principle is this. I do it, you do it. We tend to see our problems as external to us. There's always an Esau in our lives. There's always someone who vexes us. There's always someone who seems to be standing in between us and the thing that we have identified as a blessing, right? And so we pray, we ask God to change that person, remove that person. And then we begin to do the things that we can do to change that person. Or we do the things that we can do to remove that person. And why is that? Because we identify that person or persons or that external circumstance as the thing that's keeping us from being blessed. So he clearly identifies there's a problem, but the problem is, at least in, in Jacob's eyes, the problem is Esau. So that's the problem perceived. Now let's take a look at the problem understood. God has to get Jacob in a grip, he's got to wrestle him to change his perspective. So that same night he arose and he took his two wives and his female servants and his 11 children and, he cro and crossed the ford of the Jebuk and he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I just want to stop right there in, in verse 24. If if you actually want to receive what God has for you, you're going to have to get alone with God. Th that's why I would highly recommend, I know not everybody's work, you, your, your boss won't send you on a three-month sabbatical like, like my elders did me, right? But for the love of all that is good, take a day. Take a day. We call it the Sabbath, 
you know, we have a Saturday and Sunday. Take a day and get alone with God. Turn off your cell phone. Turn off your media. And listen to what the Lord has for you. It's absolutely life transforming. It's life. So Jacob finally, he's alone, literally alone on the bank of this creek, on the bank of this creek. And a man wrestled him until the breaking of day. Now, this is, this is one of the weirder texts in Genesis. And there's some weird ones. Okay, this is strange. He, here he is. All of a sudden, he's accosted by an unidentified assailant in the middle of the night. Okay, now here's how this match starts. At the beginning of this match, it's a fight for survival. He has no idea who this is. His family's on the other side of the bank, and all of a sudden, boom, someone tackles him, and now there's a literal wrestling match, wrestling match on the bank of the Jordan. Not a seven-minute match with three periods, three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, and maybe overtime, like in the NCAAs. No, no, no. This is, this is hand-to-hand combat until somebody taps out or is dead. There's no time limit. How many of you have actually wrestled physically before? A few of you, okay? Wrestling is like lifting weights, but the weights are fighting you. They're they're not cooperating. They're trying to lift you. And it is absolutely, completely exhausting. I wrestled up until 1990, And then I graduated, and then I went and coached, and then in 1994, I decided to come back and wrestle some more. And I remember coming into the Iowa wrestling room and wrestling, and I probably went one go with with someone, one go, that's just a, a period, I don't know, probably wrestled about five, six minutes. And I went into the locker room, and I looked into the mirror, splashed some water on my face, and my face was as red as a tomato. I thought my whole head was going to explode. And that was only six minutes. They wrestled all night long until the breaking of day. Now, again, this is not for a gold medal. This is for life and death as he perceives it. He has no idea who this individual is. All he knows is that he could lose his life. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. But, but then it shifts. It shifts. Then it shifts. It becomes less about life and death and it becomes more about a blessing, more about the blessing. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Now that says a lot for Jacob's physical strength. Whoever this man is, he cannot subdue Jacob. He can't cause him to tap out. When he saw that he couldn't cause him to tap out, he touched his hip socket. It doesn't say he wrenched his hip socket. It doesn't say he punched his hip socket. It says that he touched his hip socket. The word means just what it means. Touched. And then once he touches his hip, it blows his hip out of socket. So now all of a sudden Jacob realized this isn't a guy just on the side of a bank. This is a supernatural being with powers that have not been revealed up until this point. So now, because he's seen a little bit of the power that this individual's been holding back, he begins to rethink about this person's identity. Then he says, 
let me go for the day is broken. This is the, the rustler, not Jacob. This is the unidentified individual speaking. Let me go for day is broken. But Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, what is the physical condition of Jacob at this moment? He can't walk. His hip has been dislocated. And, and, but he's not letting go. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And he says to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. You don't see this coming. I've wrestled a lot of matches in my life. No one has ever in the middle of a match asked me, what's your name? (laughs) You don't really care the name of your opponent, but all of a sudden names become a big deal in this wrestling match. Who are you? The, the unidentified assailant who has touched his hip and dislocated it says, what's your name? What is a name? My parents named me Brooks after baseball player Brooks Robinson, not because they like baseball per se, but because they like the sound of my name. That's typically what Americans do. We like the way it sounds. That's not how Hebrews work. Their names ha- are chalked full of meaning. They, they speak to the identity of the person. And an identity is, is who you and others see yourself to be. It's your essence. It defines you. Your identity defines who you are. It's an I am statement. I am Jacob. I am Jacob. What's your name? That's what the assailant asked him. When's the last time someone asked Jacob his name? It was the last time he said, bless me. The last time someone said, who are you? Was the last time he said, give me a blessing. The last time someone asked, what's your name? He was with his father. And his father Isaac said, who are you? And he said, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. The last time someone asked him who he was, he lied. He lied straight to his face. So he's been asked this question before. It's a familiar question. It's a familiar question. It's one that his father Isaac asked him. And Esau, after Esau came in, after he'd stolen the blessing, and Esau came in with the game and the, and the meal and prepared the meal for his father. And he said, Father, I prepared the meal just as you asked. Now give me the blessing. And Isaac says, who are you? He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. And then Isaac trembles violently. He says, I've already given the blessing to your, son, your brother, Jacob. And what does Esau say? In verse 36 of chapter 27, he says, And rightly so was he named, for his name means heel grabber and cheat, usurper. You see, Jacob's identity, literally his name was assigned to him when he was born. In the... When, when his mother was pregnant and the two twins were, were wrestling, literally wrestling within the womb, she said, what is going on? And God revealed the two children are wrestling within your womb. 
but the older will serve the younger. And it's, the scriptures say that, that, Je, that Esau was born first. He came out all, all hairy. But as, as he came out, this little hand, this little hand was grabbing his heel and wouldn't let it go. And so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or cheat, cheater, usurper, liar. You're just a little usurper, you Jacob. You little cheater, you. You little heel grabber. What do you think a kid's going to do when he's labeled that his whole life? Literally, literally, your name means usurper. Literally, your name means cheater. That, that's, what the, that's the power of an identity. And so God says, what's your name? Jacob. He doesn't lie this time, but his name means usurper. His name means cheater. His name means heel picker. He was born wrestling and striving. He was born seeing his brother as the problem. He's born trying to take something which God has already promised to him using his own strength, his own cunning, and his own devices. And that's how he sees himself. And honestly, that's how everybody else sees him too. Isaac sees him that way. Esau sees him that way. And Jacob sees Jacob that way. That's who he is. That's his identity. He just can't help it. Who are you? What's your identity? In the middle of the night, when you're wrestling with all of your fear and all of your anxiety, if God were to say, who are you really? I'm not asking about your first name, Brooks or Fred or Barney, whatever. Who are you as a human being? Because when I don't get it right and I get angry and I get angry easily, generally at myself more than anybody else, the first thing I think is, idiot. I don't know where I, where I first started doing that. Who do you see yourself to be? In, a, in, the, in the prayer team this morning, Adiola, the, the lady that read the scripture, she said that she's been wrestling with this all week and the words of a song, Lauren Dago, it's called You Say. One of the lyrics is, I keep fighting voices in my head that I'm not enough. Have, have you ever wrestled with that? Those, those voices? I'm not, I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. I'm a slut. I'm this. I'm that. I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to that. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, I'm a glutton. I'm, I'm, I'm a materialist. I'm this. I'm that. I'm a homosexual. I'm this. I'm, I'm transgendered. I am, I am, I am. All of those I am statements. All of those I am statements that others have given you and that you have bought, on to, bought into, they end up changing your very essence and you begin to live out the very things you think you are, but those are not labels from God. I'm not an idiot. And Jacob is no longer Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. But Israel, for you've striven with God with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Now it's about his name. 
please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. There is no blessing for you, for me, for Jacob, for any of us until we're given a new name and a new identity. The power of a new name. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Revelation chapter 3, also Revelation chapter 2. There's two different places where the Lord says to the seven churches, he says, you have been given a new name, which is written on a stone and only Christ knows it. You're not who you used to be. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Yes, you used to be just like Jacob. Yes, maybe you were a usurper, but that's not who you are anymore. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul lists a whole bunch of different I am statements that typically people embrace. And he said, or don't you know, this is verse 9 of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, this is crucial. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's not who you are anymore. Jacob, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer a usurper. You're no longer a cheater. You're no longer a heel gabber. You're Israel. And from this point forward, I want you to see yourself the way I see you. Not as a usurper, but someone who has been given a rightful blessing from me that can never be taken away. And you've striven with man and you've striven with me and you've prevailed. That's who you are. You're a striver. You're striving after your own identity, which I've given you as a gift you don't need to take it from your brother because he's not the problem you are. I don't know what demons you wrestle with. I don't know what you label yourself in the middle of the night or the middle of the day. I don't know the labels that have been given to you by your parents or your coworkers or your teammates or everybody else. But I know this. If those identities are not in line with who God says you are, you will live down to those that labels. But if you and I embrace who God calls us to be, then we will live up to our new identity in Christ. Rejecting the old. Yeah. I act like an idiot sometimes. Yes. I act as if I don't believe what God says about himself is true. And there are times I act as if what God says about me is not true. And that's true for you, but that's not who we are. On sabbatical, on sabbatical, I, I wrote these things out, pages and pages in my journal, things I believe about myself. And then I asked God, God, when you look at me, who do you see? And John 15 just popped into my head. No longer do I call you servants. 
For a servant does not know his master's will, but I call you a friend. Here's what I heard from the Lord. Brooks, you're my friend. I don't need you to be a pastor, but I want you to be my friend. This is who Brooks Simpson is, and this is who every single person who is in Christ is. You are beloved. You are redeemed. You are cherished. You are precious. You are gifted. You are holy. You are righteous. That's who you are. And that's who you'll always be, regardless of how many times you fall, regardless of how many times you forget. That's who you are. That's who we are if we are in Christ. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He realizes who this is. And by the way, God never said, I'm God. He didn't need to. He didn't need to. And then the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Why did God blow out his hip? It doesn't necessarily say, but I, have, I can speculate. When, when God changed Abram's name to Abraham... What sign did he give him? He gave him the sign of circumcision. He wounded him. He wounded Abraham and gave him a new name. Something that every time he attempted to procreate and bring about this promised child, he'd, be, he'd remember that God wounded me and that I am a new identity. And I believe it's the same principle here is true with Jacob. That he loves Jacob so much that he knows, he knows you, he knows me, he knows that But in 10 minutes from this sermon, you're going to forget who you are in Christ. So what does he do? He wounds him. So that every time he places his right foot on the ground, there's a little sharp twinge of pain, and he remembers who he is. God doesn't kill him, but he graciously wounds him. Do you know that God loves you enough to get you to a place where he wounds you? so that you'll stop fighting him and stop trying to usurp the blessing and receive the blessing that he has for you, which is free and all of grace. And yes, I'm weak. And he, I'm a weak individual. And my weakness is, is I walk with a limp. I walk with a limp. And that's a constant reminder of how much I need his grace. And it's a constant reminder of the grace which is available to me because I'm not who I was before I became a Christian. And neither are you. I don't know your wounds. I don't know your story. I barely know my own story. But I know my weakness. And I know my limp. And I know that that limp is the one thing that drives me to Christ. To cling to my new identity in him. To reject the old and embrace the new. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, we'll close with this. It is absolutely amazing to me. I mean, this is God. He, 
he wrestled with God all night long and it says that he, God didn't prevail. How is it that God doesn't prevail with a man? It's because this God became man. He self-limits himself. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God humbled himself and became man, even on the banks of this of the Jabbok. He humbled himself and entered into human form so he could engage another human being who was broken. And yes, he wounded him, but he didn't crush him. He wounded him so he could bless him, so he could rename him. And when Jesus became man and took the cross on Calvary, he wasn't just wounded, he was crushed. Why? So that you and I could receive a name, a name that is in Christ, a name that will never be taken from you because his life was taken for him. And that's the beauty of the Savior that we worship. And that's why wrestling is the oldest and the greatest sport. That wasn't in the notes, it just came out. You know, that's how they announce the NCAA tournament every year, the oldest and greatest sport. So uh, as we close, I want to encourage you, if, if you're struggling, you, you have a prayer request, you, 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 you're ex- interested in helping, you want to learn more about grace, just go to the QR code here, visit this, let us know. Let us know how we can pray for you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. And just want to encourage you to, uh, to take whatever your next step is, whatever wrestling matches you're going through with the Lord, we'd like to help you take those steps.